can't stand you. I'll do it again. <laughs> okay, how do we want to start this thing? Like we just did. All right, well. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode three of Cryptic and Colloquial. <laughs> Hold on, I can do it. A cacophony of crimes, cults, and conspiracy theories. Th theories isn't in the... Well, you know what? I messed up the first okay, part. Okay, let's so I had try to add... this again. To cryptic and colloquial, a cacophony of crimes, cults, and conspiracies. I'm Kristen. And I'm Dylan. Been quite the week. Yeah. A whole coup. A whole <laughs> coup. Failed coup, but a coup nonetheless. Okay. An insurrection, I think, is the proper term. Yeah. You know, the, the news has been busy, for sure. Um, I would hate to be a journalist right now. I'm ready for the news to be boring. I, I, I remember back in back in the day when, you know, you turn on the news and they're like, "Hey, the the local nursing home is doing arts and crafts on Wednesday." And... Okay, wait, 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 wait. Do you remember big old fish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is so in <laughs> in South Dakota they have a news segment called Big Old Fish. <laughs> And it's, there's 17 O's and an L. And I think they even put an apostrophe insinuating that it's old fish. Yeah. Um, but so few people submit in like the off season of fishing that they, it doesn't have to be a big fish. It's, no. It could just be a little minnow. No. So our, we lived in South Dakota for five years, if you did not know. And um, yeah, the, the news there was. Interesting. Very. Quite. There's not a lot going on. No, truly. I mean, truly. they report mostly on the weather for yep. the farmers, and then big old fish. Takes the meteorologist had like several different segments. He had a wine tasting segment that he did. <laughs> he had a cooking with Eric segment that he did, and he had so many different segments. So. Get your recipes from the meteorologist. Yeah. I mean, he Man. wore so many different hats. He did. In he that he really carried that new situation. <laughs> and. And we heard from a, a friend of ours, kind of in the industry, that he wasn't that great to work with. No. Which kind of explained why they had different, like, newscasters and journalists yeah. just every three months or so. It was yeah. like the quarterly change-up. But he, the meteorologist, And he was the cornerstone. Was always, but he did the morning that. news, too. Yeah. Which we were always up around that time, anyway. So, yeah, quite the week. Um... <laughs> We should have known that 2021 was going to start off this way. It, you know, it, it's kind of the way we count is time is arbitrary. And yes. so it, it doesn't, the tick of a year doesn't mean, oh man, it's finally better. Yeah, it's no. symbolic, of course, but man. We've never been like big New Year's resolution people, though. We're not no. like New Year, New Me. Like we always set a goal word for the year that like is important to us and something that we want to 
you know, like an aspect of our lives that we want to try to manifest yeah. or like grow from. Um, I'm going to say yeah. new year, new me sounds exhausting. It's truly like, I got to figure this well, out every like, year. Scientifically, that's not the best way to make changes, <laughs> right? Like it's over. supposed to be like small changes and you build that habit and yeah. then you build upon those habits. It kind of snowballs, which is much more achievable. It's like debt, you know, like when you're paying off your debt, you snowball it. You know? I pay off every debt I owe January 1st of every year. That must be really exhausting. <laughs> It's I the, know you don't because I live with you. Is she eating something? It's the probably. It's the Leia. The, the new year new credit score. Maybe. No, wait, she's really eating something. What are you <laughs> getting into? She's taking advantage of our podcast. Yeah. To, to go scrounge. Yeah. yeah. I wanna like channel Jenna and Julian vibes. I need hi honey. <laughs> I need to get uh, Bentley a bed that can go right here. Yeah. So we can just have little Bentley on the table. Hi Leia. You can probably see her nose right here. So, so this week is apparently going to be a big one. Yeah. So this week, this is probably going to be a pretty long episode. Oh shoot, we forgot the timer. Oh, that's it's fine. fine. Um, we'll so just I do go until we can't anymore. Yeah, yeah. So the obviously there will be um, a title of this. It, it's probably going to be the Turpin family. Is what the title is going to be. Episode three, the Turpin family. Um, so today we'll be talking about the Turpins. Um, and I do want to preface this episode with quite a few trigger and content warnings because this is going to be a really heavy one. So lots of people wanted true crime. This is the kind of true crime that I keep up with. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me as a person, but, um, I do want to, you know, preface this with, there will be mentions of severe abuse and torture and sexual abuse and, um, all kinds of different things here so just be aware before we start this that if those things are triggering you for you we understand check out we'll see you next week or a week when we're not talking about true crime so so i don't know what this says about me but i don't know who the turpin family is oh man but i will say that while kristen was researching this i looked over at her computer and i thought i thought it said the turnip family and I was like, this is going to be a good week. No. This will no. be a fun one. The no turnip turnips. People. No turnips. This is the turpin. Just a calm story about farmers <laughs> in like a western village in the UK or something. You're going to be severely, severely disappointed. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. I didn't think we would need such a disclaimer yeah. for turnip farmers. Yes, but. it's not turnip farmers. So, um, of course, as per usual, I do want to also say that it is our goal to never um, glorify criminals. Yeah, by any means, do that. Um, you know, and if I find any resources that are currently available for the victims of, you know, David and Louise Turpin, um, I will definitely post those in the resource box down below. And of course, all my sources will be cited as per usual. So let's get into the Turpin family. So this is going to be a heavy one. So tell me about him. David Allen Turpin was born on October 17th of 1961 to James and Betty Turpin um, in West Virginia. David Allen is not a good name. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, it's sinister in Red nature. flag number I'm sorry one. to any David Allens that might be listening, but really think about maybe a name change. Yeah, it's pretty easy, honestly, yeah. as we found out. Anyways, um, so as a child, David was described um, as holding a lot of promise. Um, he was in the Bible club at school, the chess club, the science club. Um, the acapella choir, 
He was described by his classmates as being kind of nerdy and a homebody. So he's kind of a strange kid, but I mean, nobody really like thought anything of him. He was kind of just in the background. He was in more clubs than our school even offered. Yes. That's yes, impressive. Yes, he was. So um, he graduated from Princeton High School um, in 1979, and he went on to complete a degree from Virginia Tech. He got his bachelor's in electrical engineering. Um, and was a member of Ada Kappa Nu, which is an electrical and computer engineering society. He went on to become a computer engineer and actually held positions with companies that you're very familiar with, Dylan, um, Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman, um, before he retired in 2012. That's incredibly impressive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just to be just to be a computer engineer, first of all, you have to understand both the electronic side of things and right. the software side of things and have a really strong grasp on really really complicated subjects yeah but then to also go work for like some of the greats in the industry like mm -hmm. Lockheed Martin and so on yeah yeah for sure um so Louise his wife Louise Anna Turpin um she was born on May 24th of 1968 to Alan Robinette and Phyllis Ann Taylor both of them died in 2016 I'm not sure what the circumstances around that was um but Louise's father was a pastor in West Virginia and according to um, Louise's sister, she and Louise's the sister and Louise's cousin um, and Louise were basically pimped out to their maternal grandfather by their mother. So oh. like she let her father sexually abuse her children for money. What? Yeah, yeah. So I really have kind of a deeper understanding of what happened considering mm -hmm. Louise's childhood, not by any means to excuse what happened. But, yeah. Um, so she was bullied throughout high school, um, according to her sister Elizabeth, and she grew up in a very tumultuous household. So apparently her parents, according to Elizabeth, were fighting all the time. Um, she started David, dating David at the age of 15 against her father's wishes because he was 22 at the time. So there was a really big age gap there. Wow. Yeah. And age gaps are kind of interesting because at that age, obviously, that's a huge age gap. Well, you have to think about from a you know, developmental psychology standpoint, how much changes in adolescence. So our brains are very reward-driven as teenagers. And we're mm -hmm. not thinking logically, as most people would say, because our frontal lobe isn't fully developed until we're freaking 25. Yeah, so you don't have the consequences. Right, so you don't have things. like the rationality to wanting that. I point at the brief. <laughs> you don't have the rationality to wanting that reward, right? You don't have the like critical thinking skills to say, oh, I want this, but it might have consequences. Yeah, you just, I want right. this, so that's what I'm going to do. Exactly. So, um, which Dave, is that's, that's why it's weird at 15 and 22, but maybe at 25 and 32, it's a little less right. weird well, and 35 and 42. Right, because then you're both consenting adults, yeah. right? But I feel like at at that point, there has to be some sort of grooming going on, which wouldn't surprise me that Louise was susceptible to because she'd already been sexually abused as a child. Yeah. So that's, you know, unfortunately really well. common. So probably yeah. vulnerable She was well. looking for some sort of validation, some sort of attention. Yeah. So they actually ended up eloping in 1985. David was 23 years old and Louise was 16. And they ran off to Texas. And Louise's parents were pissed. Where were they uh, to begin with? I in West Virginia. 
So that's a th- you can do that apparently in West Virginia. I 16? don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know the laws. No, I don't either. Well, and I don't know how they've changed. And I mean, this was what nearly forty years ago mm-hmm. now. So, um, her parents were pissed and filed police reports. And those police reports actually wound up with them coming back to West Virginia. And her dad was like, "Okay, fine, you can marry him, but we're having a proper ceremony." Like that's oh, that what he was pissed fun. about. Yeah. yeah. So they hold a proper ceremony, and then in 1986, they move to Fort Worth together. I, I can't imagine him being like, you know, oh yeah, the whole age, like 16 and 23, that's That's whatever. fine. We just have to have but a ceremony. But a ceremony, I, know. I can't believe I this. Know. I Yeah, I, I can't even fathom. And granted, you and I got married very young. We got married at 18 and 19, but... We were both considered adults at that point, you know, and my parents were still very hesitant to let me marry at 18 years old. So, hi, mom and dad. (laughs) Um, But even even still, we were um, a week and a year apart. Yes, there was not a big age gap there at all. So I can't I can't imagine. It was weird for me the year that I was out of high school and you were still in your senior year. I was like, I don't because. I was that dude that, like, I had a job, but, like, I didn't do much, you know, in my spare time. So I would just pick her up from high school. And, like, I was like Matthew McConaughey just hanging out at the back of the high school in my pickup truck. Yeah, but seven years in. That's insanity. Yeah, so there's that. Okay, so according to Louise's sister, Elizabeth, she visited David and Louise down in Fort Worth. And Louise had developed an obsession with the occult. So she was practicing various forms of witchcraft, satanic rituals, um, and snake handling. She was allegedly regularly eating and handling snakes. Yes, I said eating and handling rattlesnakes. I've heard of people eating snakes only in survival situations. I know that when we lived in South Dakota, there was that guy... Who sold the yeah, brats? That's right. He sold rattlesnake brats. Yeah. Did we ever try that? No. <laughs> no, we tried like buffalo. We or tried something, the bison brats. And it was pretty good. And they were, yeah, really good. Yeah, that's kind of. I, I mean, it's strange, but it's clearly practice. And right. It's common practice in certain areas. Yeah. Probably not <clears throat> handling often. Uh, not in and of itself, though, is that like concerning. Eventually, they came back to like, um, pen, like they were Pentecostal. I don't know. I don't know. Weird yeah, religious I, situation I, there. You know, I actually knew a, a guy who was Wiccan in the military. I remember and, you telling me about And that. he did witchcraft and stuff. And honestly, it just sounded like Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> in real life. And that's not to belittle anyone's beliefs <laughs> no, by any means. No, but, but that's what, it, you know, from yeah. my perspective looking in, that's the way he described it. And I right. think he kind of um, fluffed it quite a bit sure. from what it was. Sure. but. But yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah. So between the years of 1988 and 2015, they have 13 kids. Um, That's a hefty amount. Ten daughters, three sons, and they all had J names. Now, their names have not come out. Um, I think that they're trying very hard. Their lawyers and such are trying very hard to protect these children because they are victims. As they Um, should. Absolutely. Absolutely. So their names are not out for the public from anything I could find. So eventually they start having money trouble. With 13 kids, I imagine. Yeah. So So the house in Fort Worth gets, they, they go bankrupt and then the house in Fort Worth gets foreclosed on 
And um, the new homeowners, when they acquired the house, documented it being really, really filthy. So they said that it was absolutely disgusting. There was filth everywhere. Um, there were scratches on the back of the doors and on the walls. And um, the floors were completely soiled, but they just thought it was from animals. Yeah. So they were like, oh, they must have had animals that they like locked up and didn't let out and like neglected, right? Like, yeah, because animal hoarding is not a super, super uncommon, uncommon. Yeah. among hoarders, right. I should say. Among the general population, I hope. Well, and, and, and with a foreclosed home, you're not expecting it to be pristine. Oh, you, you know, know what I mean? Yeah. Be. So. Um, so from Fort Worth, they moved to a little town south of Fort Worth um, called Rio Vista. Um, and the neighbors there knew something was up. When they would see the kids, they were really strange. They, you know, they didn't see much of them. Um, that home, they also filed for bankruptcy again, from what I read. That home was also foreclosed on. And um, they left and went to California. It always fascinates me when people do things like that, like yeah. foreclose on a home and then buy another home. Yeah. And I'm like, how, like, I don't understand. No. Who's telling these people, either. yes, you can have this. Right. I understand like that, you know, people have to buy homes and have to rent yeah. and, and things like that. But man, after, how do they, and then they're like, you know what? This isn't working out in Texas. Let's move Let's to move the to most California. expensive state yeah. we can possibly. Yeah. Well, and they move somewhere in between. Um, it's called Paris, and apparently it's in between Los Angeles and um, San Diego. So, but when the when the last house in Rio Vista was acquired by the new owners, they said it was in really bad shape, and they found some bizarre photos in the house. Um, they found piles of feces. Um, they found beds that had ropes tied to them. And then they also found lots of dead cats and piles of garbage. Just left. Just left behind. Man. I guess when you foreclose on a house, I don't, obviously we have never done that. So I don't know how it works, but I would assume it's like being evicted. They're like, you've got so many days. I mean, but like you have no, you're not gaining anything from it. So what is your incentive to clean that house out, right? Oh, like, yeah. Like, well, okay, so... I mean, you, other than being, like, a decent person. Yeah, you and I are the kind of people that even if we were evicted, we would still clean, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Like, we would be like, I don't want to just leave this pile of poop on the ground yeah. over here. I mean, but we know, wouldn't but... have a pile of poop on the ground in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you never know what kind of life scenario you're going to yeah, be in for right. closing on a house. But no, yeah, we, um, we would not do that. So they moved to Paris, California, and then David registered registered the house as Sandcastle Day School. And then all the children were homeschooled from that point on. Do you have to register your house as a school to homeschool I don't your children? I don't know. So let's talk about the children while we're at it. So okay. the oldest daughter did attend public school in Fort Worth. Um, there are, she went to elementary school. And there are mm-hmm. reports of classmates remembering her. Um, they said that she smelled like feces and was constantly made fun of for that. Um, she was described as pleasant and had whimsical optimism, like nothing could bring her down. Um, she was quiet, but she was often bullied. Um, kids are mean. Yeah, kids are really, really mean. And she often wore the same outfits over and over again. There was one purple outfit that people remember her wearing or outfits that didn't fit her quite right. Mm -hmm. So jeans were too short, things like that. Um... Which just makes me wonder, 
Well, and, and what if, like, the oh, this just infuriates me. With that same daughter, one of her teachers reported, yeah, someone threw her around like a rag doll. It's like, why didn't you call CPS? Like, yeah. that's your responsibility. <clears throat> Aren't they mandatory? Reporters, yeah. yeah. And so I, that just makes me sick to my stomach. Like, how do you fail children this badly? But anyway. Um, so then one of the older sons actually was allowed to attend Mount San Jacinto College in California. Um, and Louise would take him to school and then wait outside for him and then pick him up after his classes were over. Like wait the whole time? She would wait the entire class and then take him back home. Interesting. According to reports. Um, the kid was described as sweet, but he was an odd introvert. Um, and then once he attended a school potluck and someone reported seeing him just eat plate after plate after plate of food, like he never sat down. He just stood at the table and kept getting plate after plate after plate. He was so hungry. Strange. Yeah. So. Again, no one thought to say anything. Right. Or, I mean, hindsight's well, and that's 20, an adult 20, too. Obviously. I mean, like you're in college at that point. So, yeah. I mean, maybe you're just like, man, they haven't bought groceries or they just eat like this. Like you. College is a little bit different of an environment, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, in Paris, the children were reported by their neighbors. They lived in, like, this super idyllic neighborhood, like, had a beautiful home in this beautiful neighborhood. Um, you After know, kids, foreclosing on a home. Yeah, like, kids, you know, ran around the neighborhood, other neighbor kids. But the Turpin kids never came out. When they were seen, they said that they were silent and less spoken to. They said, like, one of their defense mechanisms was just to be in- invisible to mm-hmm. other people. Um, they didn't walk. They would skip around places, which is fine. I skipped around, but I thought my life was a a Disney Disney movie, movie. right? So, um, but they also said the children were very malnourished and pale. Um, one neighbor who worked nights said that he would get home between 12 a.m. and 3 a.m. And he would see the children in the upstairs window marching single file from room to room. Strange. Yeah. They would just march back and forth. Especially at that time, in the middle yeah. of the night. Yeah. So the family kept the appearance, and, and people have seen most of the photos. I'm sure you've even seen some of them. Um, that they were one big fa- happy family on Facebook. They went to Disneyland. They went to Las Vegas and um, in 2011. And Louise and David renewed their vows with all 13 children there. And so well, they maintained some semblance of, of normalcy. Yeah. But like when they went out, all the children would be dressed the same. Um, like twins, but 13. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they all had the same haircut. Like, all of the little boys had the same haircut as David. All of the little girls had the same haircut as Louise. So wow. just kind of a really bizarre dynamic. I mean, it, it would turn heads, right? But, yeah. like, I don't think anybody would have thought anything, except for the fact that these kids were apparently so malnourished. Any so family of 15 is going to turn, turn heads. Turn heads, yeah, right? Of like how they look. Yeah, But so. especially malnourished. And I mean, that's going to mm-hmm. garner attention... Anyway, and then the fact that they're pale and malnourished and quiet exactly. and orderly and dressed the same. Like, exactly. They're a billboard. Right. Right. You would think. So, on, you know, nobody nobody reports anything, and that's what just blows my mind. But on January 14th of 2018 at 6 a.m., police received a 911 call from a little girl. Um, she sounds like she's maybe, you know... 10 or so. 
and it is actually the 17 year old girl from the turban home Mm -hmm. so she and one of her siblings who was 12 i believe um crawled out of the window they took a deactivated phone they crawled out of the window um and ran like ran down the street um and the 12 year old got scared and turned back she went back Mm -hmm. um but the 17 year old kept going and she got down the street and she called 911 because apparently you can call 911 from deactivated cell phones you don't need a carrier or anything like that so she calls and she's like i have i'm being held hostage with my 12 siblings we're being held against our will by our parents and um, the cops arrive and the turpins are confused as to why they're there and according to the 17 year old she said right now two of my three of my siblings are chained to their beds they're tied to their beds um two of the daughters and the 22 year old son were chained to their beds um and so she had taken pictures to show the police before they went over there. So she had evidence for them. Wow. Um, and the 911 call was heart-wrenching. You can find it online. In fact, one of the sources I'll link has it, and I'll, I'll specify which one it is. Um, but it's just heart-wrenching. And, and the 911 operator asks her, you know, when, when was the last time you had a bath? She said, the whole, the whole house is filthy. I probably had a bath maybe a year ago. This sounds like a film. Yeah, it, it does. It sounds like a horror movie or something, right? Yeah. Like, it's just un... And for them to be 13 children, I just... With, with things this... With stories this far-reaching and yeah. so extreme, it's hard to imagine. To fathom. Like, like yeah. I, I think about that when I watch um, shows like Hoarders or something. Yeah. When you see their house and you look around at yours and you're like, I thought my house was dirty, but like I can see the floor. Yeah. You know, it's hard to put that into reality. And especially with this, as you're describing it, to me, I'm thinking of like a film on Netflix. And like no, a like this movie. was someone's real life. Like they lived this. Yeah. yeah. 13, 13 people. So um, the police arrive and the two daughters had been unchained from the bed. Um, but the 22 year old son was still chained to the bed. Still, for that 17-year-old to have the wherewithal to take photos. She, they, and that's the thing, is that these kids didn't know what medication was. They did not know what the police were. For some reason, she knew that she needed to call 911. And I, I think there was some kind of exposure that was talked about way back when the case, um, you know, was there kind of blown out of proportion yeah. in 2018. Um, but she knew to call 911 for some reason and did. And that's, she did. That's the incredibly scary thing about um, parents yeah. who are, are deranged in this kind of way right. is that they have the power of raising. Right. And you've seen, you know, research and, and stuff about people that are raised in very specific environments. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's, there's that theory of if you, if you take a pregnant woman and put her on an island who, and she's mute. Yeah. Um, and she raises that child, like, what will the child speak? Like, what will they sound like? And stuff They'll like that. form some semblance of language, as we know. Yeah, but it won't be what. We, but it won't be like know. English or you know yeah. French or something. You but, know, she'll. But that the environment has tremendous effects. Yes. Absolutely. On when your when your brain is so malleable during right. development. 
Right. And so I can't imagine when someone so deranged has that power over yeah. 13 people. 13 individuals. For decades. Yes. For years. And that's, that's the sister said, like, I haven't seen the children in decades. Like, I don't know what the state of the children is. And it makes me wonder, like, for your siblings, like, why aren't you calling the police? You know, it just blows yeah. my mind. Anyway, so by 9 p.m. that night, David and Louise Turpin are arrested under the suspicion of child abuse and torture. The six youngest children were taken to Riverside University Medical Center, and the seven adult children were taken to Corona Regional Medical Center. Um, the children were extremely malnourished. They were cognitively delayed, obviously, and psychologically mm-hmm. damaged. Um, and the police say that it was a house of horrors, um, and there were mountains of evidence in the house. So the kids were they what they withstood is absolutely horrific. Um, and this is I will give another trigger warning because we're really about to go into you know some of the abuse here. Um, so well i want to say for the police too yeah that's traumatic i can't imagine i i cannot fathom you know first responders in general like the things that they deal with on a regular basis is absolutely unfathomable. you couldn't pay me enough no no and they don't get paid enough i don't have the um the rigidity of self well and and, you know i worked in nursing homes which is nothing like (laughs) nothing like this but you know, some of it you harden yourself to. Yeah, as time goes on. But there are some things that happen that you will just never forget for as long as you live. You right. know, things that will always have a place on your heart. And, and granted, I wasn't seeing like neglect and things like that, but people and, you know, being surrounded by death often and, you know, those kinds of things that imprint yeah. on your heart. You when know? I feel like first responders especially probably all have at least one mm-hmm. of like that's stuck with them and and this very well would be for oh all of those God, people. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. You know? So again, trigger warning for the abuse here. We're going to kind of go into it. So um, the abuse that the children suffered was described as calculated and systemic. Um, the children were only fed one time daily. And one of the kids said that, you know, or the the seventeen year old on the on the nine one one call said, "Well, mother, mother doesn't speak to us. Mother doesn't like us very much. Um, she feeds us, but we don't talk. Mm-hmm. Um, she fed them once daily. We feed our dogs twice than, daily. Once yeah. Daily. Um, they were allowed to shower or bathe one time a year. Um, they were often shackled to their beds and forced to soil themselves." They would not be unchained from their beds to go to the restroom um, and left to sit in their own filth. They were strangled. Um, and there may have even, there are some allocations of sexual abuse that also happened yeah, in the house. Negligence is one thing to say, like, right. to just say, oh, yeah, I don't know if my kid ate today or whatever. Right. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to tell them to bathe or brush your teeth or which anything. is wrong that's but, that's all wrong and that's yeah. negligence but this is calculated it, it to, is extraordinarily to calculated track abuse. those things like i'm gonna feed you once a day yeah. you're gonna bathe once a year mm-hmm. and you know to have such vile like laws and in, inside the home i know is a new level of abuse psychopathy yeah like I, I, it's insane um the malnourishment was severe the 17-year-old appeared to only be 10 years old. 
and the 29-year-old female only weighed 82 pounds when she was found in the wow. home. Um, the children were not allowed to play at all, but they were allowed to keep journals. And those journals were used in the legal proceedings because they had documented all of their abuse. Yeah, it's a catalog exactly. of abuse. Exactly. I'm like, like that's so dumb on the parents' part, but I'm so glad that they did it, that they allowed mm-hmm. those kids to have that outlet. Because I, like, I don't know. I just, I can't even fathom. That's also another, like, just key insight into how insane these people were. Well, okay, and you think about the cognitive delay. Now, these kids were hospitalized <clears throat> for several months. And we'll, we'll talk about their recovery to kind of uplift things at the end here. We're going to need it. Yeah, so <laughs> um, you think about, you know, c- kids are so malleable as, as you know, from... The time they are born to the time they're 25, you're, and, and even on your synapses in your brain, your connections in your brain are constantly changing and evolving. Um, it's so rapidly mm-hmm. in childhood. And that's why kids develop language so early and they develop, um, you know, like social smiling and, and baby talk is, you know, so important. And if children aren't getting that kind of love and attention and just basic, like their basic needs met, there are critical points to where you can't turn back, yeah. right? Like you can't teach a child language after so long. So one of the the big psychological um, case studies that's always used as you know a, a point of speaking about these these critical periods is Jeannie, who was a girl who was abused, and she was found at the age of twelve or thirteen, um, and she had been locked in a room and slept in a cage. Um, and had like, no one had ever spoken to her. She, she didn't develop any language skills. Mm -hmm. And by the time she was 13, they couldn't teach her any language skills. So Jeannie is still alive somewhere today. We hope, um, I think because they haven't released her last name. So, um, she can only speak like two to three word sentences, like me water or, you know, me, me food. Like I'm saying, you know, I'm hungry. She can't develop complex sentences because of that critical point yeah, being she missed, missed it. right? And and it's the same with like walking and things. You know, there's there's only so much you can do to to recover some of those skills. Yeah. So the the delays that these kids, I mean, that was things that are robbed from them, right? Yeah. To to be so severely neglected. Well, so it, it doesn't end at the physical either. Obviously, right? language is a really easy way to tell mm-hmm. of cognitive delay. But also you think of the the social aspect of it and the critical Absolutely. thinking skills Absolutely. and abstract thinking skills, things like imagination yes. and all that. Like those are all delayed yeah. to a significant degree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about the punishment for these really shitty people. Um, so <laughs> the legal proceedings. So the, the couple faced approximately 75 charges by the time. And this is in California. This is in California. Okay. Um, so by the time they were, they were charged with everything. So they had 12, originally had 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, seven counts of abuse of an ad- a dependent adult. God, that took me a second to get out. And then six counts of child abuse. There were more. Um, but additionally, David Turpin was charged with one charge of, um, a lewd act with a child under the age of 14 and one count of perjury for the affidavits um, regarding the children's education. He said that he had enrolled them in private school when really he was just 
homeschooling them yeah. and abusing them the entire because time. Because he registered his own home yeah. as a school. Yeah. So on January 18th of 2018, this is only, what, like four days after they were discovered? Let me look. Yeah, four days. They plead not guilty. Like, oh, we're not guilty. Yeah, that, despite this mountain of evidence yeah. and how we've obviously lived our lives. Yeah, and they... Not guilty. And they kept it that way for over a year. Um, and then I guess they were offered a plea deal. I mean, because they would, they would rot in prison. And they probably still rot will rot in prison. But yeah. um, in February of 2019, they pled guilty each to one count of torture, uh, four counts of false imprisonment, six counts of cruelty to a dependent adult, and then three counts of willful child cruelty. On April 19th of 2019, they were sentenced to 25 years to life in prison with a possibility of parole at 22. However, people say the likelihood of them getting parole because of the severity of their crimes is slim to none. And, so, and the um, the publication right. of their crimes yeah. is pretty it widespread. It was so public, yeah. I, you know, with my absolute zero law experience and insight into the world of crimes and prosecutions and stuff... I would have taken my chance at trial on this one. I would have. I would have not You're offered the plea kidding, deal. Right? No, for the oh, prosecutors. Well, but I mean, you not have them. to. Yeah. No. I mean, trials are expensive. Worth it. I agree. They should <laughs> rot in hell. But just say, hey, um, you know. some billionaire, please fund this. <laughs> There's like a hundred of you in yeah. America. Like you can handle you can it, just... right? Mm-hmm. Um. So that is the Turpin. David and Louise Turpin's fate as of now, and I hope they stay in that prison and rot away and then wither and die slow, painful deaths and then rot in hell after so, that. So they, did they both work this whole time? So David retired in 2012. Okay. And Louise was a homemaker. What does that even mean? She just stayed home. Oh, I've never heard that term yeah. before. I would imagine a homemaker. My butt cheek off the leather chair. <laughs> Don't worry, the mic will pick it up. Right. I, I imagine a homemaker is someone who quite literally builds no. homes. No, 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 no. Like, That's, they keep the know. home. So, let's talk about something uplifting. So, let's talk about the children now. Um, at least five of the adult children are assimilating to normal lives. Um, and going to college, they started out in group homes. Uh, at least five of them are actually out in the, their own apartments now. Wow. And I'm going to cry. And are all living close to each other. They visit each other often. Um, I think the having having the siblings is probably the only thing. That got them through. Yeah. Yeah. Because like doing that yourself already is just yeah. an, an enormously impossible task. Yeah. And having... You know, one of the most important things I think with trauma is having someone that can identify yes. with you and validate your trauma mm-hmm. and say like, you know, that was... I've experienced yeah, that too. I know what know? that's like. Yeah. And then together, you can kind of crawl out of it. Yeah, and heal you know. from it. Um, so five of them are actually enrolled in college now. That's fantastic. Um, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and several of them are interested in teaching. A couple are interested in engineering. And one of them has already graduated and is working as a medical field technician. And wow. they're leaving, leading um, relatively healthy, you know, independent lives. They, their biggest goal, um, according to their attorney, is to grow from this and, you know, leave their tragic past behind them. 
Um, the younger children were all went into foster care initially after they got out of the hospital and were treated. And then they are all said to have been adopted now. So Whoa. they're out living hopefully better lives than what yeah. they had, you know, before. Um, the older kids are, you know, trying to become involved in their communities and grow friendships. Um, when the COVID-19 pandemic came out, the attorney said, oh, they they're used to being at home anyway. This isn't different for yeah. them. You know, so... Well, then shout out to the people that adopted them. Yeah, yeah. So, first of all, um, if you want to adopt, you definitely should. Yes. It's a great path yes. for a lot of people mm-hmm. that I think is kind of underutilized. Mm-hmm. But also to adopt um, children from a known traumatic With so much uh, childhood. Yeah. Yeah, is, you know, a lot of... It's, it's really hard to imagine... Um, being a kid in foster care yeah. and being overlooked because of something that was so out of your control. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, as a child, what really is in your control? Right, and right. And I'm so grateful that they got the opportunity. Yeah. Did I say that kids age ranged in age from 2 to 29? I believe so. Yeah. That's so. just astounding, too. To, just so many babies. To have an almost 30-year-old. Yeah. A 27-year-old. Mm-hmm. And have a kid. 29. No, like oh. the, when the two-year-old was born. Yeah, right. The oldest and then have a two-year-old. Right, I, I understand. That would be like one of my parents having a kid right now. It'd be so bizarre. That would be strange. Can I you would... imagine my parents having a kid right now? That would. I, I can't imagine. <laughs> so. Weird. I mean, you know, if they want to adopt, that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. So um, they seem to be assimilating now, and they're doing better. And I, you know, one of the things that warmed my heart about this whole story was right after. Um, you know, they were rescued from the home. People raised over $500,000 to contribute to their medical expenses. Wow. Um, yeah, because there's going to be lifetime yeah. of therapy for all of them. Oh, my God. That. Well, and I know that, you know, especially the the doctors at the Corona Hospital, that's what it was called, I don't know, Corona Regional or something, um, it, they said, you know, these kids came in and they, they gave us a higher purpose. You know, at first they came in as, as medical, you know, patients through through the ED, yeah. you know, and now they've, they've given us this higher purpose and we've grown to love them and they've grown to love us. And like, they had all these, one of the lead doctors had like all these mementos that they had left behind. And one wow. of the girls was really interested in horseback riding. And so he showed her a picture of his horse. And when he came back on Monday, that was on a Friday, he came back on Monday and she had painted a picture of his horse for him. And so, you know, for them to be developing those, I'm getting teary, to be developing those relationships so quickly considering what happened to them is just phenomenal like well and and for that child to have been so optimistic i'm assuming that would have been the 29 year old because of how early you know the timeline was um Mm -hmm. you know for her to be so optimistic as a child knowing that that was going on in her home and to be bullied i just you know i hope that that resilience you know they say kids can be like orchids or dandelions they can grow where you plant them or they can need a little more love and both are okay right um, I just hope they were all dandelions and they're just thriving. It now. sounds like it based on yeah. what they're doing now. I mean, I, you know, it was, I thought that it was hard for me to get into college, yeah. you know, or to, God, to can do you stuff imagine? Like that. Cause they and never I even can't... like finished high school. Like... Yeah. And, and you, you kind of take a lot of that stuff for granted mm-hmm. as well, because it's so common. Like, yeah, you just go to high school and yeah. you finish and graduate and then maybe go to college if you want or go to a trade yeah. school or whatever. But a lot of people just don't have that yeah 
you know, and you kind of forget about that until That's things funny. like this come out and it's, it's the most extreme and it kind of brings you back yeah. down to, to realize how fortunate we actually are. Yeah, yeah. We were to just like grow up and not have that, you know, yeah. environment that they grew up in. I just, you know, I, I want nothing but the best for those kids now. And, you know, it was so interesting though, because like at the parents sentencing, one of the kids, I heard her say, you know, I don't doubt that my parents love me and I love them. And I'm so grateful they taught me about faith and forgiveness, you know, so I can, I can move on and grow from this. And I hope they can too. And I'm just like, to have that sort of grace as a child who's been through a literal hell. Yeah. It, it's just phenomenal. <clears throat> see, so. that's, that's still my ceiling. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, you see, um, there was a story of a, a guy who's, um, I think his brother was murdered mm-hmm. or something. And at the sentencing of the person who murdered it, he said, you know, God says to forgive. He's like a very Christian person. He says, like, God says I should forgive you. So that's what I'm doing. Like, I love you. And you're, <sighs> you're a person that, like, your life is valuable. Yeah. And he advocated against the death penalty for that person. And you see that every so often. Yeah. You know, occasionally you see the person that does what you would expect a person to do. Right. And say, like, no, like, put him in the chair mm-hmm. or whatever. But that's very, very difficult. Yeah. To, because I, I think humans, I'm a, I'm a realist and maybe a pessimist in a maybe. lot of scenarios, but I, I think that human nature is to, to be inherently selfish uh-huh. and kind of seek revenge there. And so right. to, to go to that and say like, you know, thank you for what you did teach me and thank you for being a parent. And I don't doubt that you love me and I love you. Like I can't even fathom. No. That's a whole new plane of no. like existence yeah. that I have just yet to reach. Yeah. And I can't imagine that. Yeah. That's a testament to tremendous character. Yeah. Though. I think those kids will go far. I hope so. In spite of all of it. I hope so. And, and you know, they just want to leave it behind them. So I respect that for them. I hope I can find resources for them. Yeah. But I know that every person so far that has come in contact with them, they have touched their lives in some way. And I'm very <clears> grateful for that. I think um, this kind of story shows, and there's been a lot of documentaries and stuff that kind of um, take up this idea of it could be happening right beside you. It could be happening in your own neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And so really just keeping the eye out. And And doing your job. Like the the least you can do is call in a wellness check, right? Yeah. And so I think you hold the record for most (laughs) wellness checks called in. You know, and when we lived in, in South Dakota, we were near the Pine Ridge Reservation, mm-hmm. which is the poorest community in the United States. Yeah. And so there was a lot of a lot of people, a lot of homeless and a lot of people that were addicted to drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and, and you see them just kind of out and about on and the street. And you're concerned. And and you called in every single time. Yeah. But I, I think in cases like this, most people think someone else will do it. Right. And most people think like, oh, someone's probably already called. Like that dude's face down on the side of the road. I bet somebody's already called. Right. And it's just the natural, or like they're already on the phone or they're like, oh, I'm headed into work. Like, you know, I, I don't have time to call or whatever. Take the time. Yeah. Because like it may be... Life or death for this that kind person. of Yeah, yeah. maybe this kind of scenario. And, yeah. And there's no way to know no. until... And a lot of times you call and they're like, yeah, he was fine. He was just drunk. You know, we took him to the drunk tank mm-hmm. or whatever and... But at least no they get deal. the help that they needed. Yeah. That's all you can ask for, right? And I, I feel like if people were just better 
people, right? If just humans be were just person. better humans, these things, you know, wouldn't go unnoticed, you know? And that's not to say that sometimes they won't, but I feel like the system failed these kids, and I'm very sad about that. And I wish, I wish our system was more well-equipped, because it's not the individuals and the system's fault. It's the system's fault and the way the system yeah, was built. Yeah, it's very easy, I think, to blame the teacher that didn't report yeah. or the social worker that didn't look into it. But, like, the reality is, and I, I know someone that worked in social work, um, specifically with abused children, yeah. and she would have hundreds of cases. Yeah. At, and that was also in South Dakota, so it was near Pine Ridge, and a lot of those cases mm-hmm. came in, too. And it was just hundreds upon hundreds of people attached to one single caseworker. And it's just too much for any one individual. And, and you know, that person gets paid maybe $50,000 a year. They're underpaid and way overworked. And yeah. and yeah, she just never stopped working. Yeah. I mean, she would be at work for 10 hours and then bring a laptop home to finish mm-hmm. just to try to catch up. And that, that system kind of preys on people that care the most, that are the best people yeah. at heart. The people like you that call in the wellness checks every mm-hmm. time. And so they don't stop working until they get burned out and then they stop entirely. Yeah. And that's where the system kind of Chicken. creates the yeah. failure, you know. Well, this was heavy. <laughs> I want to talk about monoliths again. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, true crime is something that, that we enjoy talking People about. People said they wanted true crime. And this you is know true what? Crime this for is you. true crime. Yeah. It's not happy. No. At all. No. Gets romanticized pretty often, I feel like. It does. Mm-hmm. And I think it, there's a place for it. You know, there's some really good crime fiction, you know, series. But when it's real people attached to it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you got to remember. Yeah. You always have to remember that, that there are these are victims people. of these crimes. Yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you guys for hanging out. I hope you have a lovely week this week. Sorry for bumming you out. Um, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> our background is not here. If if the video works this week. It's um, because I kept bumping into it. No, it is because we are moving. So <laughs> we are relocating. So next week might be a little wonky, but hopefully we'll be able to we'll get do our best. Up. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks everybody. for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.